2: Welcome to Roto Grinders today. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blenderhead, Blender HD. If you found, follow me on Twitter, it's Friday, September fifteenth. We'll be talking some uh, big uh, Friday MLB action today, as well as uh, take a take a strategic look at Sunday's NFL main slate, uh, as well as all the tools here and content at Roto Grinders. Click that, click that link in the description. Get ten dollars off your first month of a combo premium package. But if you don't want to do that, you know what's free? The thummy thumbs are always free. So hit the thummy thumb, hit the thummy thumbs, hit hey, give me the likes, give me the subscribes, give me the notification bells to know when we go live. Joined by the author of the million dollar musings. Every day here for premium members at Roto Grinders, it's Dave Potts. Cheese is good. Today's MLB slate ain't that bad.
3: It's really, it's really pretty great. Yeah, we we run into a lot of uh Kind of nonsense Monday Thursday slates, especially late in the season. But uh, this is a good one today. Yeah,
2: it seems it seems like on this slate. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll break down some pitchers. We'll we'll take a look at some stacks. Uh, it seems like it, it's one of these one of these slates. I'm I'm used to an MLB DFS where it's like it's quite clearly there are like maybe two or three pitchers that's like you you probably want to play, and if you veer from there, you're getting into like. Who knows what's gonna happen range? Uh this seems like the type of slate where I feel like I mean if you if you said your pitcher pool was 10 pitchers deep, like I wouldn't I I wouldn't say that you're
3: crazy. Yeah, I actually said like in the in the musings when I kind of talk about the big overview. I mean, I said I wouldn't even call you crazy to have a 15 pitcher pool. Uh like I, I'm I'm not gonna be that big today. I mean, I, I always kind of find a way to narrow it down, but yeah, at, at least a dozen very viable pitchers like it's it's a just a crazy bunch of very good pitchers
2: right um, here on the million dollar musings you have the big top tier which you have nola Steele, skuble kirby Eflin, green gelito javier miller lugo canning webb i mean that's yeah and that, then there's that like, seems like that seems like year. a list of pitchers that i i, I almost feel like we're going to talk about pitchers and then it's going to be like well, what 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 the hell stacks are we going to play?
3: Right. And the thing is like the next tier is another five pitchers who are all about that good, but it's just like, eventually I say, okay, I can't play all these guys. Um, So I, I've X-Men, but like that next group is like Jose Barrios, Bailey, Ober, John gray. It's still a whole bunch of guys you don't really want to play against. Um, So yeah, it leaves like a chalky ish hitting side, obviously course field already in there. And then just a couple other top teams because there's just all these pitchers that you're just not, they're not great. Like you, like you can't play against them, but none of them are like, Oh, I can't wait to play against, you know, George Kirby or Bobby Miller or or Justin Steele. Like you would rather not, if you don't have to.
2: Right. And the pitching pricing is, is, is rather reasonable. I mean, like you, you could take two pitchers and get, you know, some decent hitters, like, what, Schoolbull is 9K? I mean, is he the highest price? No. Well, we have well, Nola and Steele at 10K. Yeah,
3: but even that is not expensive if you right. want to do that.
2: So are there any uh, – from since we, we, we care more about GPPs, we care more about ceiling. From a pitch count like ceiling upside, are there any pitchers that we should be maybe a little bit more worried about uh, going long? because obviously that that extends the ceiling the 6 plus innings we'd love to have uh even though they may be in good matchups and maybe are efficient with strikeouts are are there ones that because of the innings and pitch count that maybe we should look at more and some that we should look at less because i mean i i i always take a look at like someone like Bailey Ober and i go he's better he's better get a bunch of strikeouts because he typically doesn't pitch more than like five innings
3: yeah yeah so with like like with Ober, that's why he's not he didn't actually make that top tier um because he's going to top out at five innings um it's more that i move a few guys up for the potential ceiling and pitch count than moving guys down like specifically hunter green who's always just crazy boomer bust but like they are happy to let him throw 110 pitches at any point. Um, Whereas, you know, George Kirby's not going to get 110. Um,
2: Isn't isn't Nola in that range also? No, I mean, Nola could pitch that. So
3: I actually think Nola is actually going to be kind of sneaky, which is weird just because he's there in Nola. Name name recognition-wise and long-term skills, like he's the ace. Um, But because – it's not a great matchup I and mean, he hasn't really been particularly better than any of these other guys this year. Like he's actually probably like the 10th highest owned pitcher. Um, and he's always interesting for upside because yeah, he has no limit on innings. I mean, if someone was going to throw a complete game, it's him uh, like his last few starts have been shorter, but just because he hasn't pitched Well, to give give a bunch of runs like um, there's, there's really a, quite a few guys who have, essentially no limit at this point even even david peterson who's kind of the cheap chalk is like if he pitches well i'll just let him keep going um i mean he saw he's, he's been between like sometimes he's down at 75 pitches sometimes he gets 105 so as far as the upside he and hunter green are both in that category of they'll just run him out all night if it's going well um you can kind of say the same for giolito i i don't actually like giolito tonight at all i like the bats against them um but yeah he can throw 110 pitches and he does have strikeout ability so there's really a bunch of those guys that have ceiling on this slate
2: especially with peterson he's 6600 i mean i mean pairing someone like school and peterson together i mean obviously they're tagged here in lineup hq i mean uh in, in the chat big show brandon Asks prioritize pitchers or hitters this slate. I mean, I know we're talking about a lot of pitchers that are that are viable, but that actually means that you would prioritize pitcher less. Like, don't play, you know, don't necessarily go and play Chase Anderson or Zach Greinke on today's slate. But would you would you agree that it's more important to find the stacks that are going to off because they're much scarcer on a fairly decent pitching slate? And what pitching pairing you have? If 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 I told you that my pitching pairing was uh was Griffin Canning and Seth Lugo, and then someone else said, No, I'm gonna play Logan Webb and Tariq Skubal, and someone else is like, I'm gonna play Giolito, or I mean you 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 have a problem with it. But same thing, yeah. Giolito and and Bobby Miller or Christian Hobby are like, it's really gonna come down to does does your stack
3: score eight plus or right? Yeah, re- really, like the, the pitching, there are enough guys that are closely enough bunched um, that, yeah, I guess the answer to that question would be prioritize hitting. Um, and then like on the, you know, salary wise, like we talked about how, you know, Null is kind of expensive, um, whereas like Griffin Canyon is $2,200 less. I would prioritize getting, yeah, if it's Corey Seager or Jordan Alvarez or the guy you want to spend up on, rather than saying, oh, I'm going to spend that extra little bit on pitching. So I guess prioritize hitting would, would be the way I would lean.
2: And what and what's your concern with, with Giolito? I know obviously he has a very wide range of outcomes.
3: Uh, it's is mostly Texas- the matchup. I mean, Texas uh, Texas is still good, and the, the Giolito power issues are scary bad. And his control has been scary bad. Um, Like a bunch of walks and a bunch of home runs. He's basically Hunter Green in a tougher matchup. Um, So I just, I don't like, it's too much risk for me on this slate when everybody has upside. Right. And everyone has risk to to a certain extent.
2: To a certain extent, but not
3: to his extent. Right. In my opinion. but Like Javier against the Royals. Oh, I'm not counting him at all. I'm not counting. He, he's actually not, uh, I'm not going to have any, I, I will have zero Javier, Javier and Giolito and uh, throw Hunter green in there as the, the highest risk, but out of those, I'm most willing to play Hunter green because I believe his upside a little more. Um, Cause with Javier, that's against, the the ro- cause with Javier
2: against the Royals, you're relying more on the Royals striking out than Javier doing well. I mean, if you, even if you take a look at the strikeout props, Like Javier is like at four and a half Giolito, five and a half and green at seven, seven and a half that you're, you're essentially saying for DFS purposes, you'd rather take, like if Javier gets into trouble, it's, it's unlikely he's striking out eight to like make up for the two or three earned runs. He gives up, but like green can like green could give up three or four runs and still give you a workable DFS score. Exactly. I mean, green
3: is just a flat out better DFS pitcher than Javier, much higher strikeout rate this year. Um I yeah, I have no interest in Javier, honestly. Like I, I put him in the musings because people are going to have interest in him. So kind of same with Giolito. Like I understand why you would do it. Like it's there's nothing crazy about it. Um, but I got too many pitchers ahead of them uh to want to mess with that kind of risk. So being
2: that we're prioritizing hitters, what what stacks are we looking at? Because there's doesn't seem to be I mean, if I take a look at the ones that are like over five, right? Obviously, we got cores, right? So you got the Giants and the Rockies, but the Rockies only have a four implied run total also in cores. So you got San Francisco, you got Minnesota, you got Houston, right? You got uh, San Diego, just over five. Uh, I know Jock Peterson, I believe, is the cover. Uh, Do do you do the type of thing in in your Million Dollar Musings where – that's kind of like a precursor to like someone that you're targeting.
3: Uh, it's more precursor to what's popular. It's not necessarily the guy I'm targeting. It's just the Giants and Cores, that's chalk. So the cover boy is going to be a Giant.
2: Okay. Um, so are, are you more like I'm not leading...
3: actually prioritizing Jock Peterson or the Giants personally. And, and so what are you prioritizing? So essentially the, the first three you mentioned, I think that's where the chalk ends up. It Mostly Giants and Twins. Uh, Houston is kind of like obvious, but also really expensive. So I'm not overly concerned about ownership. Um, Alvarez and Tucker will be popular ish, but you can't really jam in the whole top of the lineup there. So I'm viewing this as giants and twins are what you have to be worried about the ownership on. Um, And it's a big enough slate that, I don't know. Sure. They're my top two teams along with Houston. Like those are my top three, but I don't really like them that much better than everything else uh, to worry about jamming them in. So my preferred little group are the teams that have the same kind of upside uh, a little less likely to hit it. Um, but it would be the Cubs, the Rangers, um, the Mets, uh, the Padres, Um I think that's the main group. There, there's some others I'll throw in there. But for the same reason I'm not playing Giolito, it's the same reason I'm playing the Rangers. Like, give me a guy who walks a bunch of people and gives up a bunch of home runs, which is the same case to play the Mets against Hunter Green. Even though I do like Hunter Green, um, he's always prone to that one or two disaster innings. Um, right, this is the type of slate that you could have a pitcher that's 20-plus percent don't
2: as it is. And if you're not going to be playing the chalk, your stacks like you might as if you're going to play it off the board. You rather play off the board against the twenty percent on pitcher than off the board with a similar team total against like a two percent on pitcher.
3: Yeah. So and that's so that's both the the Mets and the Rangers um, in that mix. And th- there's really a whole bunch of teams that are fine-ish that like. Th- One of the totally random teams is going to go off because that's the way baseball works. But I think there's enough teams that are not random that you can play mostly the spots that you like. Like, I don't think you just have to say, oh, I'm going to play a national stack and a White Sox stack and a red stack just because that's what I'm going to do. Like, if if I'm doing 150, I'll probably have almost everyone on this slate. Um, But in like a 20 to 30 lineup build, which is probably where I'll end up. there's a bunch of teams I'm just not playing, even if I'm not playing the pitchers. Like I'm just not going to do anything with the Cardinals against Aaron Nola, even though I'm not really playing much Aaron Nola. I'm not going to play the Rockies against Logan Webb, even though it's cores. I don't think I'm going to touch anything on either side of the Dodgers Mariners game in my initial lineups. I mean, yeah, either of those teams can go off. Either of those pitchers are good enough, but at some point I need to just cross some things off the list. Um, and that's the kind of spot I'm happy to just X out. Um, It's really a whole bunch of offenses like that. I'm not going to play Arizona against Justin Steele. I'm not playing the Angels or the Tigers against the good pitchers. Um, I'm not playing – the Red Sox-Blue Jays game is kind of like a miniature version of the Dodgers-Mariners. It's like good pitchers, not great pitchers. Like I don't want to play the pitchers, but I don't really want to pick on them either. There's just better stuff around. Um, So if I get up over, I'll say 20-ish lineups, I'll I'll probably get to a Red Sox stack. Um, But they're not in my initial group either. Uh, There's just a whole bunch of spots like that. Orioles against Zach Eflin, same thing. It's sure they're fine. um, But I'm trying to narrow down so I'm not just throwing darts at everything. I could, see the, I could see Minnesota being
2: over-owned on the mm-hmm. slate simply due to price. I mean, if you take a look at the lineup with the 5.1 implied run total against Jesse Shultons, I mean, outside of Polanco and Lewis, I mean, this is – I mean, you get Correa at 4K, right, filling a shortstop spot. You got Ryan Jeffers at 3,200 filling a catcher spot. Karoloff is 2,800. I think with this implied total, Julian, 3,700. That you know, if you're going st- strictly by mean projections, I think you know if you if you're using an optimizer poorly, a lineup builder like lineup HQ poorly, you may get a lot of Minnesota. So you also
3: have to expect the field to kind of do that a lot. They're well. definitely the chalk. Like I think they're probably more chalky than the Giants. Like it's definitely those two teams are the chalk. Because I yeah, optimizers will give you the Twins and hand building will give you the Twins. Hmm. Um, Ryan, right. so the Giants I, 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 aren't all that
2: expensive either in Coors Field with the 6.38 implied run total. I mean, you could fit these guys in, of course, there's a lot of outfielders in here, but I mean, Patrick Bale, he's 3,100, right? You got I mean, a is expensive at 5,000 at second
3: base, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think when people line them up side by side, like I think the Twins probably come in higher on than the Giants. Um, and people like everyone's aware of the Giants' pinch hitting tendencies, which always lowers ownership on lefties against a righty. So I, I, I think it's going to be Twins one, Giants two, in terms of ownership, um, with a pretty big gap after those two to everything else.
2: Right. You could always spend your, uh, you could, you could try to spend as much money as you can on the Braves. Have you ever seen a see? have you ever seen a season? They're not game- on this. They're, they're, oh, they're not on the. Okay. This game, in the six forty yeah. game, but I'm just saying, have you ever seen a season where a team has, has like multiple players that are over six K priced and a seven K player in their wild.
3: Life? Like. It, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, and it's just weird how good they are. Like. It seems made up like this can't even be. And nothing looks fluky about it. It's like I don't know how they turned all these guys. Like a lot of these guys are elite hitters, of course. But then some of them, I mean, I don't know what they did to make Eddie Rosario and Sean Murphy Hall of Famers. You know, I mean, I don't. There's, there's, or even guys like Orlando Arcia. Yeah, it's, right. You see it's, him. It's incredible. like, oh, what? he's he's a bunch of home
2: runs, and typically he wasn't that type of guy.
3: Yeah, uh, it's it's like it. It's just seems completely real. Like it, a lot of teams are great, and it's maybe it's kind of fluky. Or they're great for a while, and then they're not. And but uh, for now, um, I'm just every day. I'm just stunned by how great they are.
2: Uh, I got two mailbag questions for you, Dave. Right, right. Since we're talking MLB. Right. And we only got like two more weeks of the MLB season. So might as well knock them out here. One's in the one's in the chat. One came via email. You could send in your mailbag questions. If you have any DFS strategy questions, we'll cover them on the show. So email them in questions at theory dot com. That goes directly to me. Uh, one is in the chat by King Kong. I don't think the actual King Kong. Right. Wow. King, King Kong is here. Can you believe it, Dave? <laughs>
3: <laughs> incredible this is what happens right. when you get up early he never well he's up at the early. top of the empire
2: state building so like you're going to have to he's trying to get reception for his cell service uh at some point he says can you touch on your general thoughts of capping exposures so as far as like the tools are concerned like lineup hq like using min and max exposures
3: yeah so i extremely heavily cap exposure on hitters. Um and I will not necessarily cap exposures at all on pitchers. Um this is the way I do it in baseball. Um I'm there are days when I'm completely happy to have hundred percent of a pitcher. And more often than not, I'll have, you know, a 50% owned pitcher and a 40% owned pitcher. So it's a totally different question between hitters and pitchers. Um but on the hitting side, uh, I will pretty close to never, ever be over 25% on a hitter, um, if even that. It's just like, it's so variant. I, I I think everyone knows there's a lot of variance with hitters, but I, I still think people don't understand the extent to which there is. Um, so the way I do it, like, if you have all the time in the world, um, I would put a, a min-max exposure on every single individual hitter that you're using on the whole slate. I, I don't expect most people to have the time to want to do that. Um, so if you don't, you can just use the the overall slider on the build rules page. And I would I would cap hitter exposure personally at 25%. Um, yeah, like I, I don't think you can possibly be spread out enough that hitter but it's totally different a pitcher like i'm gonna just play who i want narrow down my pool a lot further x out a ton of guys um and i would go i go more towards like give me a high minimum percentage of certain pitchers with no maximum so very much depends and and i, I know he asked like any sport well it's different in every sport at and at every position in every sport so um, it's definitely not a one size fits all when you change sports.
2: Um, well, the thing that to be to be the most the most important facet of this is that exposures are not strategy, exposures are just representations of risk. Because you could build you Dave, you could build 50% of your lineups with Giolito, 50% of your lineups with Hunter Green, and have a and have no lineups to have both of them together, or have half of your lineups with both of them together and have them without them together. So like the individual lineups, the way that lineup HQ works, it's just a, it's just a knapsack problem solver. So it's just going to hit, what's the lineup that I can make with the most amount of median fantasy points and then hit hit a restraint and then skip, skip, skip. skip. Okay, the next one that I could build and it's going to try to give you whatever you plug in to want. So what I mean by the exposures being a representation of your risk, Dave, you're right on the fact of in general, you probably want to diversify your risk in positions and players that are much higher variant. You're, you don't need to spread out your risk very much like a stock portfolio. A blue chip stock, like a blue chip ETF or something like that, you could have a lot of, right? Because the, the downside risk is low. The upside may not be as high. But like in Major League Baseball, like just because a batter, a hitter projects for 0.2 more points median than another batter, the range of outcomes on a hitter is ridiculously wide. So, lineup HQ, if you don't set a cap, will give you the one hitter that's 0.2 points higher at the same price, like 90% of him and like two percent of the other guy. But there's so much so much variance in hitting in baseball that maybe you want to diversify a little bit more. It's not a matter of who's the better play and how much of them or how over the field or under the field you are. It's more of how much risk do you want to have in your portfolio? And Dave, when it comes to hitters in your 150 portfolio, you don't want to have more than 25% of of your entire portfolio. The, The monetary amount and the number of lineups on any right. one hit. you're you're not lock buttoning like Mike Trout on a slate at 6200 because like oh he's just so much better a point better than like seven other hitters in his
3: range exactly like no matter how much i like a hitter uh like you know on tonight's slate expensive outfielders yeah jordan alvarez is my favorite expensive outfielder and i would say air quotes by a lot but I don't actually want like the difference between him and the next 20 players on tonight's slate. He's not that much more likely to outscore any of them. He's not that much more likely to outscore. You can just pick a random name. Let me just scroll down. Uh, Sal Frelick. He's really not that likely to outscore Sal Frelick tonight um, or any other outfield name you randomly pick out in the middle. Luke, Luke Rayleigh, they Hernandez, Matt Walner, Stephen Kwan, like, I'm not willing to just play a whole bunch of him um, in an MME, kind of say a whole bunch of anybody for exactly what you're saying. Right.
2: And pitchers are less variant, so you're much more likely to key in on six to eight pitchers or something and be like, I want to make sure to get a bunch of the better projected pitchers and not pay it. Yeah, sure, there's a lot of variance even in pitching, but you're not screwing around with like, oh, I don't... Do I want eight percent of Jesse Schultons just because I have right. some diversification? Just I'm just gonna divert that eight percent to just the pitchers that I actually do want to play.
3: It's a lower range of outcomes and a lower ceiling. Like some hitter is gonna, you know, a hitter can score 60 points if he wants to. Uh
2: oh, only if he wants to. Uh if, if he yeah, doesn't he has want to, to, really, he to. You
3: have to want it you can't just be like I don't really care is
2: that in the model but, is the want of each player in in our models here
3: I mean I keep asking for it and no one no one wants to do it uh, it's in my model in the not model in the notebook um but yeah like pitchers are they're a little bit more predictable in a one game sample and it's a smaller range of outcomes um and and also the every once in a while a slate is flipped on this, but 98% of the time, like, I don't want to spread out and play everyone everywhere. I don't want to play 30 pitchers and 30 stacks because even in 150 lineups, like, then you have nothing. Like you have like a little bit of, you don't even have a little bit of everything. You have a bunch of nothing. Like I want to have something narrowed down somewhere. And when I have those top few pitchers, if I know I'm going to play 20 different stacks or 15 different stacks. I want my good pitching combo with each of those 15 stacks. I don't want that one or two random, like, okay, I want to take a shot. I, I can find a reason to take a shot on the raised stack tonight. I don't want to lose with that one raised stack because I didn't play the good pitchers in that stack when it was just as easy to fit them.
2: So there's a point, there's a point where when you're playing a lot of lineups that too much diversification means that you're just bleeding money away because you're just, you're trying to play too much. I'm not saying that that strategically, it doesn't matter, but from you're you're, you're willing to take on some risk in the positions that you feel much more confident in rather than like, Oh, I'm going to play everyone at their actual ownership and just be like, whatever the slate is, the slate is. It's like, no, you, you purposely said like, I, I, I don't care that Giolito is eight percent owned. I'm not going to play much of. I mean, like you're you're making those choices and making sure that your lineups have the combinations of those choices. But if you diversify too much, essentially what you're saying is that you've made you've made no choices. Which, hey, to some people like me, if I just go by the numbers, some you know I will have more of players that are under owned and less of players that are over owned. But as far as like statistically concerned, I'm not doing that, like strategically. It's just that's the way it worked. If it turns out that that uh, projection for you know David Peterson, for instance, I don't. I mean, obviously this is way too early. If I, if, I mean, we have David Peterson at three percent projected owned. I think he'll be higher than that uh, on DraftKings. But if he came in at three percent, like it's quite possible when I play 150 to have 30 percent David Peterson because his efficient ownership may be like 12 to 15 and because I'm getting such a discount on the ownership I'm playing, I'm playing exploitatively. So I'm going to end up with a lot more of him to take advantage of how under-owned he is. And when you're doing that diversification is, I mean, it typically works itself out. So me many times I'm not putting mins or max exposures on anyone. I'm just letting everything play out. And then, if I see that, oh, I'm getting 78% of a hitter, I'll be like you, Dave. I'll be like, uh, yeah, I don't want to put that much risk on one hitter. Let me cap him at like 25 and then rerun it again. And then maybe you'll get the whack-a-mole scenario of, well, he's at 25 now. Now this other hitter is ending up being 70% on as a one-off, right? And then right. you cap him. And so that's typically where I'm putting in the caps of like, like I, I, I get these hitters down and then, the easy way to do it is in the build rules and just say, I don't want more than 25%, 30% of any hitter. And it'll kind of spread it out along the way.
3: Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Um And like to, to double clarify, in case you've never heard me talk about this before, like I build by hand and I build like 40 to 50 lineups by hand every day because it's easier for for me to get exactly what I want like it's really hard it's kind of what you you talk about a lot it's really hard to get the builder to give you exactly what you actually want like it's easy to get it to give you what you think you want but then when you look through the lineups it's it's always clumped mm-hmm. and the mixture's not right um I do run a lot of 150s to practice and figure it out and at some points in the season there are days I don't have time to do it and I'll run the builder but the time it takes me to get the line of builder to actually give me what I want is the same amount of time that it takes me to build about 50 lineups by hand because I know exactly what i'm what I'm trying to accomplish and why i'm trying to accomplish it um and it, it's just easier for me to actually do it lineup by lineup Um, But I realize that's not feasible for most people, um, which is why I I talk about the ways to do it in Lineup HQ.
2: And it's also, I do it from the other side of the spectrum. You're building them by hand. Me, I build way more lineups than I need, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll go in here and it's quite possible I'll build five different 300 sets of lineups. And maybe I'm only playing 40 on that given day. And I'll go through and go. Let's take a look at this 300. And I'll go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I'm getting way too much. Like these aren't the lineups that I I, I would ever choose because this you know because of projection and ownership. And then I fool with the settings whatever way I need to. There's no every day it could be different because of how the salary and position allocation is. And then I get to the point where oh yeah m- most of the, most of these lineups in this 300 set are lineups that I would I would I would consider playing. And then maybe you this is
3: what them. I what I think is super interesting is we go about it the complete opposite way. But like for the same goal. Right. In that. You can if you just say I want 50 lineups and you just build 50 lineups, you're not they're not going to be the 50 lineups you actually wanted. Right. Well, especially the tops
2: and the bottoms aren't like I mean, you may yeah. find like 10 in the middle that are like, OK, these are fine. But because of how lineup builders work. The top is typically going to be way too chalky and the bottom is going to be way too low projected. So you need to find a way to get the percentages of lineups that you want. So that's why I just run. I just run. When I say I run lineups, that's what I mean by I just run lineups NFL. I just run lineups and I go, okay. do I really want to play this tight end and that and that receiver from the same team without their quarterback in all these lineups? No. So let me make a group. Did I know to make a group beforehand? No, because I didn't know how the I didn't know how the lineup builder with the projections were going to work out. And I'm like, based on correlation, I don't want those types of lineups. So I start running and building those rules as I see stuff comes out. And once I start seeing stuff comes out and saying, yeah, yeah, this, this fits what the projection and ownership that I'm looking for that you know the correlation fits in here. I don't mind certain weird types of combinations. Then once I get to that point, then I could I could run. 1200 1500 lineups at that point and find the 50 that i that i want to play so it's very dave like we it sounds like we're complete opposite sides of the spectrum but at the end of the day we're trying to get to the same spot you're you're manually building the lineups that you want and then hoping that the builder could build it and i'm just like give me 1500 lineups and let me find those 50 from there
3: yeah yeah It's it is it's super interesting to hear like how different it kind of seems. Yeah. Like you say, it kind of seems like we're completely opposite, but it ends up at a very similar spot.
2: Uh, another, another mailbag question. I know we talked about this last week, but Dave Fickna sent in uh, to clarify about, we talked about the only in stacks button on the line of HQ, just a, a little bit more of a clarification of what types of hitters are you typically targeting that you're willing to play outside
3: of stacks? The short answer is anyone with power. Like what I don't want are the guys who rely on runs and RBIs, which would then relies on their teammates around them doing things. So if you can't hit home runs or steal a bunch of bases, which is only a few guys, like essentially without home run power, I'm checking the button. That That's really what it comes down to. So basically – the only in stacks feature you want
2: to use on players that have outcomes that are less correlated with their of their teammates, because you're going to be playing them outside of a stack. Which means when you play, for instance, Luke Rayleigh, right? You mentioned before, like Luke Rayleigh could hit a home run, right? Yeah. The Rays, the the Rays could do poorly, and Rayleigh could have two home runs, but if you played a five man Ray stack with Rayleigh's two home runs and everyone else having like three points and zero points and five points, like you ain't going to win. So you don't have to concern yourself over like, Oh, if Rayleigh does well, that means the Rays probably did well. But when you play the, like the light hitting shortstops and stuff like that, where the guy only gets like six home runs on the year. So for him to put up like 20 fantasy points, he's probably going three for five. He knocked in two runs. Like it's much more likely that the rest of the team has done well. But you only have that one piece. You don't have the other four batters. So
3: exactly what you're saying is Luke Rayleigh versus Taylor Walls. Right. So Taylor Walls hitting right next to Luke Rayleigh on Tampa gets the, I would play the only in stacks button because he's not going to hit two home runs. Luke Rayleigh might just hit two home runs and Tampa scores two runs total. If, yeah, if Taylor, if Taylor Walls has a big game, it's because he's getting a bunch of runs in RBIs because everyone
2: else around him is, is doing that. Another, Michael Dompier in chat also has a good point that we don't talk about enough. Only the stacks button is great for, for weather. If there's a game that is potentially postponed later in the slate and you want to take a shot, like you play them only with stacks, meaning that you, right. if, if the Red Sox game is a potential to be rained out, you don't want to have like, 16 Devers in one-offs in other lineups or Verdugo's in other lineups that are guaranteed to get zero if the game gets rained out but like a five-man Red Sox stack it's like if the game gets rained out the lineup just dies but you yeah, that's not what like we talk about it with everyone else
3: we, we talk about that a lot on crunch time when when Roth is on and he and if he gives us that scenario like I mean it's 50-50 at this point of this game plays yes that, that's a great point like only in stack every single one of those guys. If if a game has that kind of postponement risk,
2: uh, let's talk a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you looked. I mean, I know you're a baseball guy, but you love. But you you say that you're more of a football fan than a baseball fan.
3: I am. Yeah. Uh, it, in in real life, I watch much more football than baseball.
2: Uh, is there any any overview of what you you've seen on the the NFL slate? I know we're still waiting for you know some. Injury news. I mean, it's the second week of the season. And it it feels like we're like mid-season. Like we got to wait for like six different injuries. And are we going to play? Are we playing Puka Nakua? I like, I love, geez, I don't know about you, but week two is one of my favorite weeks. Because people look at week one and they do one of two things. They either look at week one and go, it's going to happen exactly that way again, right? The target shares, everything, the the team, all the teams that played bad are going to play bad again teams that play well are going to play well again or the opposite of oh the thing that we thought previously that before the season that's going to come back right so it's like like oh yeah he had a bad game last week but they should have a good game this week because that's what our season you know prognosis is i don't know what type of guy you are obviously you're in the middle somewhere but are there situations i mean what on this coming slate for nfl that you're more confident or less confident in.
3: Well, so for, from a DFS angle, especially the first month of the season when I'm still more focused on baseball, I kind of take those two different examples of the way people look at week 2 and and really week 3 and 4 based on what happened early. My my view of it is the air quotes better DFS players or the people playing in like higher dollar single entry are not even aware of what happened in week 1 they're playing the projections so i'm not going to even consider it when i'm playing like if i'm playing like a $200 single entry tournament or higher like i don't think anyone anywhere is going to be fooled or care at all about something that looks like an outlier from week 1 um
2: but sometimes big- i i i dave i want to use your talking point about projections Projections don't know. I mean, projections need inputs, <laughs> also, right? Correct. Right, oh, project- right. So, so just the the small amount of sample size that you get out of week one still has to be some type of input into the projection that get. We have to give a target share to Puka Nakua. We have to give a target share to Trey Flowers, right? These guys that got like forty plus percent target shares in one week last week. Maybe the real target share is only 22. Maybe it's only 10. Maybe it's actually 38. But when you make projections, you have to put some amount of assumptions in to do so. Now, Stefan Diggs, we don't have to. We've seen enough of Stefan Diggs in the Bills offense, right? We've seen a lot. We Travis Kelsey, if he plays, I think we could accurately predict, you know, a narrow range of what his target share and his efficiency is going to be with Patrick Mahomes. It's these situations where, yeah, the projections, if you regress one week's worth of data, Puka Nakua is, is the Rams' wide receiver one. And of course, he has an oblique injury, and maybe he doesn't even play, right? Jacoby Myers may not play, right? He's doubtful. We've seen Devontae Adams in one game with Jimmy Garoppolo, where he's targeting either Adams or Myers on almost every play passing. How do we know that's going to continue? Calvin Ridley. look. Alpha receiver, Chris, Christian Kirk got three targets or something. Is, is that going to continue? Is that not, but we still need to put them into projections. So some of these guys are actually going to project higher or lower based on even one week's worth of sample size. So I don't, Dave, week two to me is the, I don't know, I, I the, the Projections are nonsense, right? Isn't that isn't that your line? There you go. That is correct. We yes, right? right, I've been the most successful the first six weeks of of NFL, first six to eight weeks almost every year, and it's coming from the attitude of, yeah, that that thirteen point oh nine for Puka Nakua, like that could easily be eight or it could easily be twenty four, and I use your Robbie Ray rule. I call it the Robbie Ray rule because you said it before. I was I was when I was a roto grinder subscriber. Because I read your musings before I was a host here. You always said, Robbie Ray, he gets ten strikeouts or he walks six guys and gives up eighteen runs or whatever. uh you play him when he's not owned, and you fade him when he is right? You lean into the variants, so I'm looking at guys like Naku and Flowers and all these guys that kind of performed last week that even in the projections you have to put you know you have to put something in like those are the most fragile. And those are the most types of situations where, you know, maybe I do play Christian Kirk if a lot of people play Calvin Ridley. Maybe I play Rashad Bateman. If a lot of people play Trey Flowers. You know, I don't think anyone wants to play James Conner because he's James Conner. Maybe I play some like, oh, well, how good are the Cardinals? They're trying to tank. It's like maybe they're not, right? So that that's kind of what I'm talking about when it comes to to looking at the projections but knowing – That in week two of NFL, there's a lot of fragility in them.
3: Yeah. I mean, quite simply, what what my lineups will all look like is whichever of those top, I don't know, 15 wide receivers, the the guys, we know exactly who they are and that they're good. Chase, Tiggs, Adams, Metcalf, Ridley, Lamb, like whichever of those guys end up with the lowest projected ownership, that's my lineup. I guess... I'm, there's really nothing more to it than that. Um, why, why don't we look? Is that, so Lamb,
2: are you going to play Garrett Wilson with Zach Wilson behind center? He's 7,500 and 3% I am. on. I am. DK Metcalf, 2% on at 7K. I mean, these are obviously. Yeah, these numbers home. will change,
3: but but yeah, like that. that's exactly what I'm going to do. Like the guys that I know for sure are absolutely good and are absolutely going to get the ball thrown to them. That's who I'm going to play. That are also,
2: also low-owned.
3: Right, right. So and, in choosing between Calvin Ridley and D.K. Metcalf, like, it's not even close, it's like, uh, Metcalf.
2: Or even C.D. Lamb and Devontae um, Adams, or Amon St. Brown. It's like, well, C.D. Lamb is, is a good receiver. He's 7,700. You're going to play him. Yeah, but, like, but you may not play both of them in the same lineup. I mean, you don't take it to the extreme where you're like, well, I'm going to just play all of the guys that are the pivots over. Like, you still need raw points. Yeah, I have
3: no issue playing. Like it's not like any anyone anyway, these football slates are so big. It's not like anyone is 60% owned. So like I don't mind playing Jamar Chase or St. Brown with the the Lamb or the Metcalf. I just, my lineup is not going to be Ridley, Chase, and St. Brown if I'm spending up a receiver. Like I don't want the three chalky guys when they're they're not any better than the next ten guys. Like they're all really good. Right. Well, they are better, but they're only
2: slightly better. And compared to their ownership, they're not that much better. Right. Very very similar to what you said about Jordan Alvarez, right? Before. Like, yeah, you may think that true. he's better, but he's not he's not worthy of thirty percent ownership versus another guy being five percent owned that right. Like, yeah, I right treat wide
3: receivers a lot like hitters. Like that's where I want to be more spread out, not go overboard on anyone. Like they're I mean, target share is a more predictive thing. Like it, it's not as variant, but it is like, it's the same idea of the top projected guy versus the 12th projected guy. It's all the same guy, like range of outcomes ceiling. It wouldn't somebody is slightly more likely to be a little better, but it's essentially just this big group of all the same great player.
2: Michael Dompier in the chat. YouTube chat says it's interesting to listen to multiple shows with many listeners and hearing about all the players that quote, no one is going to play. So I advise to play him and seeing if that guy gets steam. And you, you do see that, especially in the single entry three max, like the smaller field stuff, the large field, you're playing the Millie. The, if that effect is not as great. And a lot of times it's of different players, like casual people tend to play certain players over other players but then like sharp players that are, you know, listening to shows like this. Like, I'm not saying that DK Metcalf is going to end up being like 18% owned in the spy because it's like, oh, he's an obvious pivot over Calvin Ridley. But that effect does happen to some degree where you get the the low owned guy that is like twice as owned as you thought he was going to be. And then sometimes you get the chalk guy that actually is much lower owned than you, because everyone's like, oh, everyone's playing that guy. So I'm not going to play him. And then he, just, that's a, he ends up being half his own as you thought he was. And at that ownership, you're like, maybe I should have played him.
3: I feel like the, the ownership projections have kind of almost started factoring their own future into themselves, <laughs> if, if that's a sentence. Because if people weren't already doing that, then you would see a bunch of guys projected at 40% ownership or three or four guys, and then a bunch of guys projected at five. But like, it's already like, the fact that people do that is already factored into why the ownership is not really that spread out why like what's our top projected guy is like 20% owned right now if if that effect wasn't already in play it would be ridley and the cool would be projected at 40% and you everyone,
1: know, else everyone else
3: would be two, 1% yeah. so like the owner like i feel like these ownership projections are kind of already Factoring in their own futuristic ownership making.
2: So that, that they're, they're self-aware. Exactly. Right. We're, we're the only side that has self-aware ownership projections
3: that it. That's a, that's a great selling point. Yes. <laughs> but, but it's really, I I really think that's kind of what, what it is. Because um, uh, if everyone wasn't worried about it, then you would just have a few chalk guys and then a, a bunch of 1%. Right.
2: Uh, for NFL as well as MLB, you could use our fantasy pick'em tool for Prize Picks and Underdog. It is a premium feature. It goes along with the, the Prize Picks and Underdog extension for Chrome, and uh, you can check this out every day. I mean, it shows that we update it multiple times a day for all the sports. I'm not going to show anything because it's premium members only. But you go to MLB, NFL, CFB, NHL, NBA when it comes around, you know, and we compare our statistical projections. That you could you could download yourself also uh, to the Prize Picks and Underdog uh, projections that are up there, and uh, I also compared like the Bat and the Blitz projections for MLB and NFL. And uh, anytime go there and it'll show you what's what plus EV, what's minus EV, what are the win rates uh, based on our statistical projections. My suggestion is get it as early as possible, get the best number, get the best price. And uh, I have a whole bunch of stuff. I, I have a whole bunch of MLB stuff on price picks and underdog today. Uh, unfortunately for you guys, almost all of them have moved, you know, by a strikeout, by a couple of fantasy points. So uh, the only ones on the board that still, I believe, still have some value left is uh, I know geez, You're not going to like this. Giolito over five and a half strikeouts against the Rangers. I actually
3: don't mind his strikeout prop at all. I just, I, I think and he also may give his, up five runs in the price. I don't want his six strikeouts and four homers tonight. Right, right. And then I also have uh Coles
2: under seven K's against the Pirates. Oh, okay. Not on the slate, obviously, for D. Yeah, I didn't
3: even actually look at him because he's not on the slate. Right. So
2: uh but compared to I think that his his uh efficient line on on multiple sports books is around six and a half, right? Like six and a half at like minus one eleven. So the under seven should should show some value, and it's it's under on both. Uh, the bat and uh, plate IQ projections. Uh, there's a bunch of others that were there, but they've moved to half a strikeout. So my suggestion is you sign up for Roto Grinders Premium, right? Get the combo premium package, get everything, right? Click on that link in the description, get $10 off your first month. And when you wake up in the morning, right? Just wake up, you wake up, you, you go to work, you wake up at 7, 7.30, take two or three minutes, go to this page, right? Go to the Pick'Em tool, see what lines are up, but projections are up on prize picks and underdog. If you see a couple that are off, bang, 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 make a five pick flex card. And then you get dressed to take a shower and you go, off, you go off to your day. You don't have to sit here monitoring it or anything like that. It's an easy way. This is like, I, I would say, based on my my experience, uh, much more worthwhile and much less time in comparison to like playing MLB cash games and, you know, double ups, especially, you know, in September where. The only people that are masochistic enough to do that are typically the best players.
3: Yeah. The, uh, I just want to double point out the key to what you said, like make sure you're doing it as early as you can when you see the lines because the lines will move. Once the lines move, the picks are no longer as useful. Like the the value gets sucked out of them when the line moves. So right. make sure you're paying attention to that.
2: Right. If you, if, if it's uh, if it's six o'clock at night Eastern and you're like, Oh, let me take a look at here for the seven o'clock MLB games. Like, the likelihood of you finding anything of value is very, very small, right? You want to get them early overnight. I mean, underdog and prize picks post. I mean, underdog sometimes posts stuff at like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Take a look. If anything's big enough off, get, you know, it could be 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever. Put together a three pick on underdog, four or five, on uh, five or six on prize picks. Just get them early. You get them early consistently, and the number moves in your favor by, by, Game time, that's a that's a good, very good signal that, you know that you're you're gonna be profitable long term. Yep, Dave, million dollar musings. You got two more weeks of it. I what do you, what do you do you do you have a routine that like after the season do you like do you go to get hand massages or something? Like you gotta you gotta rest up your fingers, your keyboard typing fingers for what's
3: what's the off season look like? Well, October is like so much TV. Like I, I, I get up and I sit in my recliner every day for a month, and I'll just I'll binge watch a bunch of shows, and I will relax, and it will be fantastic. And then I kind of get back to work, but uh, but back to work between until next baseball season is still like a lot. Uh, it seems very restful.
2: So you're not you're not going to be writing esports content.
3: I don't think the world needs that honestly.
2: <laughs> okay, you can follow Dave on Twitter, Dave Potts 2 on Twitter. Cheese is good. You have all the MLB stuff here at Roto Grinders. Uh you're you're also going to be on Crunch Time tonight, right?
3: Yes, we will uh hit all the baseball stuff again, get some uh go a little deeper into some position by position at uh I think the usual time about 620 eastern right and before that is grinders live at five o'clock eastern
2: hit that notification bell you'll know when we'll go live we go live on the channel we have tons of nfl content coming out uh i'll be on the blitz show tomorrow with alex dunlap and Derek cardi that's only for premium members and that'll come out tomorrow afternoon so you can check out more of my thoughts on en- on the sunday nfl slate then uh, Send in your questions to the mailbag. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. We'll answer them on the show. And as always, hit those thummy thumbs. Hit the dummy thumbs. Thummy thumbs. Hit the subscribe button. Hit everything you can. Hit any, hit, If you're on YouTube, just hit everything. Just hit everything. Right? And I'll be back. I'll be back Monday. So I'm here, you know, getting you up to speed on the day in DFS. Props and pick them. Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern. On Roto Grinders. Today.